This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Good to see you. My name's Chris. I'm the pastor here at Christian Chapel. Whether you're in person or online with us, we're thrilled that you're here. As the announcement said, as you can see around the building, we are under construction. Uh, we got a big renovation underway, and I, I need some extra prayers from you this morning. Uh, so I don't know if you noticed, but this week they cut off the front like two feet of the, the stage. And I have eight years of muscle memory that says stand right here. Um, and you probably can't see, but there's a little lip of carpet with nothing underneath it right where I always stand. Uh, so uh, one of two things are going to happen. You're going to pray that I will not fall off and God will answer your prayers. Or you're going to pray that I will fall off and God's going to answer your prayers and Andrew's going to have it on video. Um, and so I am hoping you love me enough to pray the first one. And uh, I, I mean, legitimately, I'm nervous. Right? Like it's, it's just, it's hard because you, you know what it's like when you've always done the same thing, the same way in the same place, and then something changes, right? This is how some of you have backed into your mailbox or done other things when you moved into a new house because it was never there before. It's how you hit your neighbor's car because they parked it behind nobody else. Okay. Uh, you know, just those things happen when it's unexpected. So uh, today we're going we're gonna to fight that battle together, okay? Uh, we started a new series last week called Seek First. And we're talking about what it looks like to seek Jesus first in every part of our life. Part of that, if you were here last week, you got one. If not, they are um, on the ground in front of your chairs. There's these little seek first notebooks. That's our gift to you, uh, just a way for us to try to take the information that we're getting from the scriptures to see how it applies. And as we apply the truth of the scripture to our lives, it always brings transformation to us. So each week, uh, we'll pause at some point in the message, ask you to jot some things down uh, to think about over the coming week in ways that God can, can kind of help and move. Um, our foundation scripture for this series is Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, where Jesus tells us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And so what we're exploring over the next couple of weeks, six to eight weeks or so, is what does it look like to seek Jesus first in different areas? And so today we're going to see what it looks like to seek him first in our thoughts, Right, so before we get into our actions, before we talk about our relationships, before we talk about our job or our school or anything else, we want to recognize today uh, that our mind is the place that our actions flow from. It's the place where our beliefs take root. And if we can't win the battle of our mind, we're not going to win any other battles that we face. Fortunately, Jesus gives us some very clear instructions on what it looks like to win that battle. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul gives us some advice we're going to look at here in just a moment. He's writing in 2 Corinthians to a church that's facing some attacks from false teachers. And so in the, the portion we're going to look at in 2 Corinthians 10, he's talking about how he responds to anything that threatens the work of God in the churches he started. And so that, that, that application still applies today. We're going to take a, a slightly different look at this passage and think about what does it mean for us to adopt Paul's mindset and Paul's action plan for any thought that comes into our minds that is at odds with God's plan for us. Okay, so today is not uh, just the power of positive thinking. It's not 10 steps to controlling your mind. It's what does it look like to seek Jesus first in my thoughts and let him go to war against everything that sets itself up in opposition to him. 
And my hope is that God's going to speak to you as clearly as he has spoken to me about these things and, and really bring some true and lasting freedom. And especially for those of us that we feel like you are stuck in some thought cycles that just never, ever go away. I think today God's going to come and bring some revelation to you that's going to set you free in those areas. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to start reading in verse 3. Paul writes, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now again, you know, Paul's talking about false teachers, we're applying it to our thoughts, and we're asking that question of what does it look like and what does it mean to seek Jesus first in my thoughts. Now the first thing you have to understand is this is an invisible war that we are all fighting. According to psychologists and researchers at the Queen's University in Canada, the average person has 6,000 unique thoughts per day. The team uh, that, that did this study included an expert in cognitive neuroscience who devised a way to detect uh, simplified brain patterns and the change that would occur when a person shifted from one thought to a new thought. Now, if you assume the average person sleeps seven hours a night, that means you have 350 unique thoughts every hour. You have six new thoughts every minute or you have one new thought every 10 seconds. Now, just in the, the time it took me to tell you that, you had some thoughts, right? <clears throat> you thought, Queen's University, that's kind of a fancy name for a college. I wonder where that is. You thought, an expert in cognitive neuroscience, what does that mean? Was that study peer-reviewed? Is Chris just making this up to try to make his point? Chris just did math in public. It's probably not right. You thought all of these things as I'm telling you this, right? Some of you thought seven hours of sleep. I wish I got seven hours of sleep. Do you know my kids, right? Others of you thought 6,000 thoughts a day. I think I have 6,000 thoughts a minute. You don't understand. Some wives are like, I think my husband has six thoughts a day. Because every time I ask him what he's thinking about, he says nothing, right? And so, so it's just like all of this. Do you know what it's like to have that? Like we're having a conversation and there's this whole other conversation going on in the back of your brain. Anybody involved in any kind of teaching, public speaking type roles where you have to talk in front of groups of people? Right? One of the fascinating things, we, we talk about it with our pastors all the time, is, is what happens when you stand up like I am today and you're, you're fully engaged in what you're talking about. And in the back of your mind, there's a whole other conversation going on. Right? So I'm telling you, the apostle Paul says, and in the back of the mind, it's, why is he looking at me like that? Right? Paul teaches us to take captive every thought. She does not look happy to be with her husband today. Yeah, I haven't seen them in a long time. I wonder where they've been. Have they, they look tan. I bet they've been, right? And just all of these, all of the time, it never stops. If you're breathing, you're thinking, right? And what Paul is trying to, to help us to understand is there is a constant battle for your mind, right? He tells us we do not wage war as the world does, but he is acknowledging we do live in the world. And so everybody who lives in the world, they're engaged in this battle for their mind. God's plan is for your thoughts to center you on him and his work and his presence in your life. The enemy's plan is to distract you and to destroy you from the inside out. 
And the primary way he's going to do that is through your thoughts. The National Science Foundation conducted another study where they said um, the average person, so of those 6,000 thoughts a day, 95% of them are repetitive. They're things you think about day after day after day, hour after hour after hour. Also in their study, which I I couldn't really confirm how they figured it out, but they estimated that 80% of our thoughts are negative. And so what we're thinking of here is if there's something, if there was anything in your life that you thought, I do that 6,000 times a day, then we got to assume Jesus has a plan for that. We have to assume he has a purpose and a way for his power to work and to, to be effective in there. And that's exactly what Paul is telling us. He's saying, look, we, we're in the world, but we do not wage war as the world does. And then he goes on to lay out in verse 4 exactly how we are going to move into this battle. He says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, one of the, the most common lies the enemy is going to tell you is you can't win. You cannot win this war in your mind. 6,000 times a day. What hope do you have of defeating the enemy 6,000 times a day? Right? And he's going to come and tell you, hey, you can't, you can't win the battle of your mind. And because you can't win the battle of your mind, you're not going to win any other battles either. You're never going to escape these cycles of addiction. You're never going to be free from those temptations. You're always going to fail in the same ways. You're never going to know the success that other people have had in their relationships. You're never going to know the freedom that the scriptures talk about. You're never, you'll never, you'll never, you'll never, you're not going to win. But what Paul is trying to help us understand from the very beginning is, listen, you have to understand, you have divine power. Again, it's not the power of positive thinking. It's not, hey, write these four statements on your bathroom mirror and say them out loud to yourself every morning and suddenly everything's going to go away and it's all going to be perfect. Paul's telling you there is a spiritual battle that occurs in your mind every single day. And the only hope you have for winning is the divine power of Jesus Christ. Now, the good news for us is that has been made available to us. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, we not only talk about his victory, but we can experience his victory in every single part of our life. And Paul says we have divine power to demolish the strongholds the enemy sets up. Now that that idea of strongholds I think is important for us to remember because Paul is, is acknowledging here strongholds are strong. Right? This isn't going to be an easy thing. A stronghold, all, all through this teaching, he's using the ideas of war to convey the reality of the battle we're fighting. And so when he talks about strongholds, he's saying, what are the places in your heart, what are the places in your mind where the enemy comes and tries to not only launch his attack, but tries to set up a stronghold from which he can launch attack after attack after attack. So, so here's what I want you to do. To grab that little notebook that you have. There should be a pen with it. And just jot down what are some of the strongholds that the enemy is trying to establish in your thoughts. What are those? Is it, is it greed? Is it lust? Is it hatred? Is it bitterness? Is it anger? Is it feelings of loneliness and isolation? You know better than anyone the thoughts the enemy comes, and, and think of what are the thoughts that once you engage it, you spiral downward quickly. Is it worry? Is it fear that God's not going to take care of you? Is it fear that he's not going to take care of the people that you love? 
Just think about that and, and jot it down, because what we're going to see in a few moments is God's plan for every single one of those strongholds and the reality that we can experience. And as I was thinking about this this week, I, I know for me, one of the primary strongholds that the enemy comes and sets up in, in my heart and my mind is insecurity. And, and from that position, he can launch all kinds of attacks. He can launch an attack of, you're never going to be good enough. He can launch the attack of, doesn't matter how hard you work, it's not going to be effective. He can launch attacks from the other direction of, if you work really hard, they'll love you more. He can, you know, and, and simultaneously, but you, it probably won't be enough even if you achieve it. Right? And, and so it's just this and this and this. And until I recognize where that's coming from, I'm just going to be fighting against the arrows he's shooting at me instead of getting rid of the stronghold that he set up in my heart and mind. Your strongholds like mine are strong because they're built on negative past experiences. They're built on some internal issues, some of which we're aware of and some of which we're not. But any place where we have allowed the enemy to come in to gain a foothold, to have a position in our life from which to launch his attacks, we're not going to experience final victory until we stop just fighting against the attack and start attacking the stronghold. And what Paul tells us here is exactly how Jesus handles these strongholds. You see, he, for most of us, we're, we're okay with kind of behavior management. Of as long as those thoughts don't lead to behavior, I'm okay with it. As long as they don't play out my actions, I'll deal with them in here. But what Paul is telling us is, no, no, no. We have divine power to demolish strongholds. Not to push back attacks, to demolish the place from which they come. So he's painting this picture for us. And, you know, I don't think Paul knew about all the wonderful power equipment we have in the world. But if he was here today, maybe he would say, Jesus comes in and he demolishes those strongholds like a wrecking ball. Just completely blows through every single one of them. And then after the wrecking ball's done its work, he climbs up in the bulldozer and he comes to level it all out to make sure there's nothing left standing. And after the bulldozer's cleaned it all out, he comes in with the excavator and he starts to dig down deep to make sure he gets all of the foundation and all of the roots and anywhere it's tried to hide under the surface. And after he's done all that, he loads it all in a giant dump truck and he drives it away never to have root, never to have strength in your life again. It does not mean you won't be attacked, but it does mean the enemy will not have his stronghold in your heart and in your mind. This is the freedom that Jesus has brought to us. And now, now Paul's going to continue to talk in there of, hey, so, so we're fighting a war. You got to be aware of it. When you fight the war, you can fight with confidence because you have powerful weapons. The victory of Jesus Christ that demolishes everything you face. And then he gives us some rules for engagement. You've got to know when you're going to fight. So as you keep reading through 2 Corinthians chapter 10, you come to, to verse 5, and he says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So if you're going to put Jesus first in your thoughts, then you have to fight against any thought that tries to displace him. Right? And that means you're going to have to learn who God is. You're going to have to learn what God does. You're going to have to learn what God's plans are for you. And the, the primary way he's given us to know his purposes and know his plans is the scripture, right? So if you want to know what does it look like to live in the knowledge of God, you have to let the Bible become a regular part of your life. You need to read it. You need to listen to it. You need to hear people teach from it. 
you need to allow it to sow deep, deep in your soul, right? You should know more about the Bible than you know about your favorite show on Netflix. You should know more about the Bible than you know about your area of expertise at work. It doesn't mean that you know how to parse Greek and Hebrew. Not at all. What it means is you know the plain teachings of Scripture and what they say and the difference that they make in your life. It doesn't mean you have to, have to memorize full chapters or full books. It means I'm going to make this a regular part of my life. And as I do, I'm going to believe what the Scriptures teach, that in the moment I need it, the Holy Spirit himself will bring to mind the words of God in my heart and my mind. But if the Scriptures are absent from my life, then I have no real hope of being able to discern what sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Now, now Paul, he writes 13 letters in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians is one of them. And in almost every single one of his letters, he lays out some idea for us of this is what the kingdom of God looks like, and this is what the kingdom of the world looks like. And he's constantly inviting us into a life of complete and total transformation. Not just where, hey, I'm saved, so one day I'll go, go to heaven and be with Jesus, but because of the powerful work of Christ in my life, I'm going to live differently right now. This is what he's telling us in 2 Corinthians 10, that you can demolish every stronghold that sets itself up in opposition to Jesus. So when do we fight as followers of Jesus on the battlefield of our mind? We fight any time the Spirit shows us that there's an attack of something that's setting itself up against the knowledge of God or something that is attacking us to pull us away from God. Now, if we had time today, there are literally dozens of examples that we could find from the Apostle Paul's letters showing us what that looks like. For the sake of time, though, I'm just going to show you three, and we'll walk through them and see what it looks like. So the first one is in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 where Paul teaches us what we're supposed to dwell on. He says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Other translations say dwell on these things. And so if you're trying to figure out what does it look like, when do I fight, anytime the enemy comes at you with a thought that is not true, with something that's not noble, something that's not right, something that's not pure, right? Anything trashy or scandalous or shameful, that cannot take root in my life. I have to see that and I have to acknowledge, okay, now is the time to fight, right? He's making it very clear for us. If that's what we're supposed to think about and dwell on, then anything that stands in opposition to that must be rejected. He tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So again, if what you're thinking is at odds with God's good, pleasing, and perfect will for your life, then not only can you not entertain it, you have to actively fight against it. You have to allow Jesus to come and completely demolish those things. And what I love here is Paul's kind of pushing us a little further of, hey, not only are we going to reject it, but we're going to let Jesus transform our mind. So it's not just I'm going to stop thinking about this. It's I'm going to start dwelling on the truth of God, of who he is, on who I am. And I'm going to let my mind be completely transformed. The reason some of us have so much trouble in our thought life is we've accepted Jesus as our Savior, but we have stopped short of a transformed mind. 
We thought, hey, he forgave me. He brought me into the family. I'm good. This process of transformation is an every single day experience. God's giving you 6,000 opportunities a day to be brought into his kingdom, to know his power, to experience his presence. And what Paul is telling us is God comes not just to save your soul, but to transform your mind, to change the way you see the world, to change the way you hear. And what happens is as your mind is transformed, your ears become sharper to the lies of the enemy. And what you once didn't recognize until he was already building and established in the stronghold, you now begin to recognize while he's still a long ways off. Paul goes on to tell us in Galatians 5, he gives us another list that's helpful for us. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now again, it's, it's not hard, but if you're engaging with thoughts that are not loving, they should be rejected. Right? And, and you know what happens? If you reject thoughts that aren't loving, you won't act in ways that aren't loving. Right? If you lack joy in your life, reject thoughts that don't lead to joy, and you'll experience more joy. Right? Reject thoughts. If you're engaging thoughts and you're thinking, if I go down this path, does it lead to peace? And the answer is no. It learns to me burning my neighbor's house down because he won't mow his grass. Right? You've got to reject that thought. That's not from the Lord. That's not where he's leading you. Patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, all of these things. It's just a, a markers of, hey, if this thought doesn't line up with those things, it can't be from the Lord. Self-control. Does, does this thought lead to a self-control as a fruit of the Spirit? If I act on these things, if I don't, then I've got to reject it. I've got to move away from it. What Paul is trying to teach us in 2 Corinthians 10, what he tries to teach us in almost every single one of his letters, is we have to be righteously aggressive in our thoughts. All right? You will not passively win the battle for your mind. Because you can't control the thought that first pops up. Right? If you could, we would reduce the number significantly. Like if, if there was a way for me to control how many thoughts would come through, I'd be much more focused on what I'm doing all of the time. Right? I, I'd have far fewer of those like, hey, look, a squirrel kind of moments. Right? And you would too, but we can't. Things just come constantly over and over and over again. And what Paul is telling us is when they come, don't be overwhelmed by it, don't worry about it, but just be righteously aggressive. Know who God has called you to be. Know the life that God has called you to live. And any time the enemy tries to sneak something in that is at odds with him, you've got to know, okay, it's on. Like, now it's time to fight. And I'm not going to stop fighting until that thing is not only repelled, but until Jesus demolishes it and removes that stronghold from my mind, from my heart, from my life. This is what Paul is promising to us. It's the experience we can know as followers of Christ. And then I love the way Paul finishes uh, this, this short little section of teaching in verse 5. He says, we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. All right, which is just a beautiful, I mean, you can almost, it's almost like Paul is a children's pastor here. He has made his point several times. And he's told us, hey, we don't fight with the weapons of the world. You have divine power to demolish strongholds. That should be enough. But just in case we don't get it, he gives us one last picture of what it looks like. He says, you're going to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds 
overwhelming and impossible to me. If we believe that study from Queen's University in Canada, 6,000 thoughts a day, that means every 10 seconds, I need to take captive a thought and make it obedient to Jesus. Right? That, that in this setting, the time we've been here this morning, I should have at least 350 to 500 moments of I've got to take captive that thought and make it obedient. I've got to take captive and make it obedient. I've got to take captive and make it obedient. It sounds exhausting. Right? But so, so let's help us uh, understand that a little bit. First of all, you don't have to take captive and make obedient to Christ thoughts that are already captive and obedient to Christ. Okay? So as I'm standing up here and proclaiming the scriptures to you, there's not a secondary conversation of, man, I need to take captive that thought and make it obedient to Christ about taking captive our thoughts and making it obedient to Christ. Right? Like that's, that's not good. So, so there's one out of my 6,000 that I don't have to worry about for the day. You've got some thoughts that are just neutral. Right? They're, they're not going to lead you necessarily towards God or away from God. You walk outside, it's hot. Okay, right? Two plus two equals four. Okay, some of you are doing more complex math, but we're all going to do our level, right? And so we're just, there's all of these things. That food is good. That car is red. We don't, those are fine. We don't have to worry about what we're worrying about. What Paul is pointing us towards, again, remember, is every thought that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So those are the ones we want to pay attention to. Now that, for most of us, still involves a whole lot of thoughts. And here's what I want to encourage you to think about, too. It's not just thoughts that lead you directly to sin, right? Of, hey, you're married, she's pretty, go. Right? Or, look, money, not yours, take it. Right? It's not just those thoughts, but it's every thought that goes against the way God sees you. So it might be thoughts of, I, nobody cares. It might be thoughts of, I'm not worth loving. It might be thoughts of, I can't do what God has called me to do. It might be thoughts of there's no purpose or meaning in my life. And over all of these, Paul is telling us, you've got to take those captive and you have to make them obedient to Jesus Christ. So, so what does that look like? Now, again, Paul's using the, the ideas of war to convey this to us. And in war, there are prisoners of war. Now, for you and I, we're, we're probably not as familiar with prisoners of war, but we're definitely familiar with arrests. Right? We're familiar with law enforcement officers. We're familiar with what happens when we don't do it. Right? We've all watched uh, cops or some version of that at some point in our life. Right? And so if you've watched any of those, you have learned there are kind of three little phases that you can go through when you encounter a law enforcement officer and you're doing the wrong thing. Right? So the first one is they're going to detain you. Right? You're doing the wrong thing. An officer sees it. They're going to say, hey, Sir, ma'am, stop. Stop, and they're going to investigate what's going on. And once they discover that, yes, in fact, you are breaking the law, and it's to a level that requires uh, that you have to be arrested, at some point they're going to say, hey, place your hands behind your back. They're going to put those handcuffs on you. And then where are they going to take you? They're not going to take you home and be like, hey, mind your mama, right? She's out acting crazy again. Like somebody take care of her. They're not going to do that. They're going to take you to jail. Right, so you're going to be detained, you're going to be arrested, and you're, you're going to be imprisoned. And this is the idea that Paul is, is painting for us in our mind of, hey, when you have a thought comes through, and it's not pleasing to the Lord, the first thing you're going to do is not just kind of think, oh, I hope that goes away. But you're going to know, nope, it's time to go to war. So the first thing I have to do is I have to detain that thought. I have to stop it and say, hey, that, that is not from the Lord. 
you don't belong here. What are you doing here? You can't be here. And once we, once we engage it, then we're going to arrest it. We're going to say, hey, you don't, you don't get free reign in my mind anymore. And then Paul tells us we're going to imprison it. But I, I love the, the way he phrases it. We're going to imprison it, take it captive, and make it obedient to Christ. Right? And so it's almost like he's presenting us with this idea of you're going to detain the thought, you're going to arrest the thought, you're going to put it in custody, and then you're going to take it to the prison that Jesus runs. And he's responsible for that thought's rehabilitation or that thought's execution. Whatever he needs to do, he's going to do it, right? It's, it's a picture of Jesus we don't see often in the New Testament. It's Jesus the jailer. Right? Now, you've heard of Jesus the good shepherd. You've heard of Jesus the king. You've heard of Jesus, the, the sacrificing servant. Anybody ever spend a lot of time? Anybody have pictures of Jesus, the jailer in their house? No, that's not really a common one. That pe- like your grandma didn't get that painting and hang it above the fireplace. And it doesn't go as well. But I, I love that picture because here's what it is. It's, it's I'm going to detain this thought. I'm going to arrest this thought. And then I'm going to take it all the way over here to jail. And I'm going to drop it off with Jesus. And then I'm going to leave. And so what that means is for that thought to get back at me, it has to go through Jesus. And this might be taking it just a little bit too far, but I don't think it is. It also means Jesus is the jailer is not going to allow me any jailhouse romances. I don't get to write love letters to those thoughts. I don't get to tell them how much fun we're going to have when they get out. I don't need to tell them how they were wrongly imprisoned, and I can't believe that Jesus ever put them in there. I don't have to apologize. I don't have to tell them how I miss them. And Jesus as a jailer means if I come sniffing around again, not only is he going to keep them in, he's going to keep me out. And he's going to remind me, hey, you don't belong here. It's a picture of Jesus is the protector of my mind. He's the one who preserves my thoughts. And it does not mean the enemy won't attack, but it does mean they cannot gain a stronghold. Because he's there saying, no, 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 we've defeated that. Right? And if that thought's cousin comes at me the next day, we're going to go have a family reunion in Jesus' jail. And we're just going to take them again and again and again and again. And I'm going to wear out the path to the prison where Jesus keeps everything that stands in opposition to him. Right? So, so Paul, I think he's, he's really trying to drive it home. We take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Jesus. And so if, if he's going to spend that much time trying to drive it home, then we're going to spend a little more time with it as well. So I think we've got some interns somewhere, Tate, Enrique. There we go. Uh, so, so let's say Tate and Enrique, they are, let's see. Tate, you get to be, you're a double liar. There you go. So, so there we go. So Tate and Enrique, they're the thoughts we have. Right? Now, if, if we were really trying to demonstrate what this would look like, I would stand in the middle and we would have all 200 of you running in circles around me, each of you with a different thought. And you would take turns coming to hit me with those little signs of like, hey, hey, hey. And some of them we're not going to worry about, and some of them we have to engage with. But here's what Paul's telling us is, look, when these lies come, when the lie comes of I'm stuck, where I am is where I'm always going to be. I'm never going to make progress. I'm never going to be different. This is who my daddy was. This is who my mama was. This is who I'm going to be. I'm going to pass these destructive behaviors on to my kids. I'm never going to know freedom. I'm never going to know life. I'm never going to do anything besides what I am doing right now. As you start to go down those lies of I'm stuck and I'm never going to be here, what you've got to do is you've got to stop, right? And, and so you have to do it. You've got to be like, come on, man, let's go. Uh, so you're detaining him. You're recognizing this is not true. I am not stuck. And you've got to arrest him. 
right? So, so you, you have to actually just tell them, hey, like, I'm sorry, you, you cannot be here anymore. And then beyond that, now, Jesus is here, but he's not physically here, right? So, so as opposed to having uh, one of our people stand up here with a, a sash and white robe, we're just going to say we've got our own prison, right? And so, so now some of us, here's what we do. We detain him, we arrest him, and we leave him right here next to us. And we think, well, he's not as strong. That's pretty good, right? But you know what he can still do? Right there. And you're done, and you're out, and you got no hope. So what do you do? What do you do? Paul doesn't say take captive every thought until it calms down a little bit. Take captive every thought until you can live with it. Take captive every thought until you can leave it on a leash. Because here's the thing. Some of us, our destructive thoughts, if we're really honest, we like them. We enjoy going down the rabbit hole. Because we're telling ourselves, I'll, I'll never act on it. I'm never actually, you know, I'm stuck in this marriage. I'm never going to act on it. But man, it's kind of fun to think about what it would be like somewhere else or with someone else. And so what's Paul telling us? He's not saying, hey, just calm it down and kind of manage it. He's saying you're going to detain it, you're going to arrest it, and you're going to take it to Jesus. Right? And so you, you literally are going to walk that thought back, and you're going to take him all the way back, and you're going to drop him off with Jesus, and like a parent with a bad kid at daycare, you're going to be like, he's your problem now. Right? You deal with him, I'm done. Except we're not going back at the end of the day to pick him up. It's over and done with. He is done and gone. But then what, what we also know from Romans chapter 12, verse 2, is when I drop off that lie that I'm stuck, I'm not just leaving it behind, but Jesus, the jailer, is exchanging a truth for me. He's saying, give me that lie that you're stuck. I'm going to give you a lie that says, I didn't save you to leave you where you are. I am the good shepherd who leads you on paths of righteousness. I'm the one who says, come and follow me, and we're going to walk paths of life together. I'm the one who says, your parents might have messed up everything, but you're going to chart a new path for your family. You're going to be the ancestor they point back to. That's where our family changed. That's where everything went different. You see, with Jesus, it's not just give me the bad thought. It's here, let me give you the truth of who you are and who I've called you to be. Right, but, but you know, you're like me. It's, if, if it was just one thought a day, we'd be good. But here come the other ones. Right? I don't matter. I'm all alone. I mean, th- this has been the lie of the past year and a half. I am all alone. Even though the whole world's going through the same thing I'm going through, nobody's going through it quite like I am. Nobody's suffering quite like I am. Nobody knows my pain. Nobody knows my hurt. I am all alone. And so we begin to believe these lies of loneliness and isolation. And as we believe these lies, what do we do? We drive deeper into loneliness and isolation. We think, I'm all alone, so I guess I'll stay home. I'm all alone, so I'll withdraw from my relationships. And I'm all alone, it leads to I don't matter. Well, I don't need to go anyways. Nobody's going to notice if I'm not there. Nobody cares when I do show up. There's nothing in my life that's significant. Nobody knows me. I wasn't born into the right family. I don't have the right skills. I don't make the right money. I don't live in the right part of town. I don't get the right grades. And I just don't matter. Nobody, if I was gone, right? So what do these lead to? They lead to self-harm. They lead to destruction. They lead to isolation. And then they lead to that poison being passed on to the people around you. Well, because I'm alone, I want you to be alone. Because I don't matter, I don't think you matter either. 
And that poison spreads not just from us, but it spreads into our children if we're parents. It spreads into our friends. It spreads into our classrooms if we're teachers. It spreads throughout our office. If you're a pastor, it spreads throughout your church. And these lies bring destruction. And so what Paul is trying to help us understand is, look, both of these are at odds with who God has called us to be. He's told us that he's chosen us. He's told us that he knows us. He's told us that he plants us in a community to know and be known. And so when I feel these start to come at me, what do I got to do? I gotta, again, I got to pull them out. I got to be, hey, Tate, you're a liar, right? And, oh, we're going, okay, yeah, yeah, we're going behind this time. Because we learned our lesson last time. We don't cuff in front. They try to choke you out. So we cuff behind, right? And then we take these lies. And, and some of us still, we're like, hey, Get out of here. I'll keep these with me. And, and so we get rid of the source of the thought, but we don't get rid of the thought. But no, 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 we're not going to let it happen. We're going to call them back and we're going to say, look, God tells me the truth about who I am. And he tells me that he's with me and he's planted me in a community. So you're going you're to have to take that with you. And you're going to have to take this with you. And you're just going to have to get on out of here. Right? And again, we're going to take them all the way back. We're going to drop them off. We're going to leave them. We're not gonna, we don't care if he falls, right? He's a liar. <laughs> Truth is not in him. But here's, here's what we're gonna do. We, we could do this all day long. We could do it with lies about lust. We could do it with lies about greed. We could do it with lies about bitterness and rage. If we wanted to, we could start with some of our actions of we behave this way, and we could trace it back to the thought that motivated that action. But what Paul is promising us is you can take captive every single one of those. You cannot control when the thought pops into your mind, but you can control what you do with it. And you really have a choice when a thought does not stand in line with what Jesus has revealed to us. You can entertain it or you can destroy it. You can go to war or you can make it dinner. Louis Giglio wrote a book called Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. And in it, he says, if the enemy can win the battle for your mind, he can win the battle for your life. But it's easy to sit and, and kind of think, eh, that's nice, but does any of this really actually matter? And what the scriptures are telling us is it matters so much more than you think. Every destructive thing you've done in your life started in your mind. It started with a thought. And if you're a follower of Jesus, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, from that thought to action, God threw roadblock after roadblock after roadblock in your way to try to get you to stop. Sometimes you, you gladly and you joyfully ran past those roadblocks to embrace your own destruction. Why? Because you let the enemy in. And you didn't just entertain the thought, you welcomed it in. And as you were sitting at your table enjoying a meal with a thought, the enemy was off on the side establishing his stronghold. Thinking, you might get me out of this table, but you're not getting me out of this house. I'm here to stay. And what Paul is telling us today is there is freedom and there's life for you because Jesus is coming to demolish every stronghold that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And he's going to give you the ability to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Jesus Christ. And the freedom you know is not just going to be a freedom of action or a freedom of relationship. It's going to be a freedom of heart and soul. Right? Because the enemy, if he can win the battle for your mind, he can win the battle for your life. But the good news is, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 10, Jesus has already won the battle for your mind, which means he has already won the battle for your life. 
Today is not about you deciding, I'm going to fight harder. It's about you deciding, I'm going to receive the divine power of Jesus Christ to go to work in me and go to war for me. I'm going to embrace the picture of Jesus, the jailer of, hey, I don't have to fix all that. I just got to take it to him. And he knows what to do with it. Those negative thoughts, those destructive thoughts, you might have walked with them for decades, but you don't have to keep their company anymore. You can kick them out by the power of Christ in you. He will demolish them. He'll uproot and destroy every stronghold they have built in your heart and your mind, and he'll replace it with his love, his joy, his peace, his patience. With his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his gentleness, his self-control, this is the life he wants us to experience, and the enemy's dedicated to destroying it. But what Paul's telling us is, look, when you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and the life of Jesus Christ, God enables you to recognize those as soon as they pop up, and then he goes to war for you. And it's just as simple. I'm going to detain that. I'm going to arrest that. I'm going to imprison it, and I'm going to exchange it for the truth about who I am and who God is. If you'll stand with me this morning, I want to pray for us, and then the the band's going to come back. They'll lead us in a final song. Jesus, we are so thankful that you're a loving Father who gives good gifts to his children. And Lord, we come to you today asking that you would remind us you have won the war for our mind, and you are winning the war in our mind. Lord, there is no temptation that seizes us. There's no thought that attacks us except what is common to us all. And you are faithful, Lord, and you will not let us be tempted beyond our ability to bear. But as those thoughts come in, Lord, you're always going to provide a way out so that we can stand up underneath it. And so, Lord, today I pray especially for those that they are exhausted from the torrent of negativity and lies and destruction that the enemy is launching in their mind. I pray today, Lord, that today would be a day of freedom and a day of hope, a day of understanding it is not on me to fix it. It's not on me to win it. It is the final victory of Jesus Christ that he has shared with me. Jesus, today we embrace you as the demolisher of everything that stands against you. Today we welcome you as the jailer that imprisons everything that tries to destroy us. And Lord, today we take our place as your sons and your daughters those who have been called by you to live in the fullness of life. And Lord, we come today asking that you would not just drive back, but you would destroy every attack of the enemy in our minds. Lord, I pray against the fear that plagues us. I pray against worry and anxiety. Lord, we pray against doubt. We pray against anger. We pray against bitterness. We pray against rage. Lord, we pray against insecurities. We pray against all of these things and more. And we believe, Lord, that you are coming to bring true and lasting freedom to us. So, Lord, today, may we not just know transformation in our actions, but may we know what it means to live with transformed minds and to walk in your good, pleasing, and perfect will. Lord, we come today to declare your victory and to walk in it together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The band's going to lead us in a final song. I want to I want to give you a special encouragement today. We, every Sunday, we open the prayer room for you to respond to the things that God is saying to you. Of all the messages I have preached in 2021, I fully expect the biggest response we've had today in that prayer room. Because I know there's a war for your mind, and I know some of you feel like you're losing it. 
And the biggest thing the enemy wants is to tell you, you're fine, you don't need help, stay where you are. But if you're gonna go to war, you're gonna need some people to fight with you. If you need the victory of Christ, you need some others to join you in that experience. So as we sing this song, declaring the power of the victory of Christ, if you're tired of fighting the same old battles, if you're tired of feeling like you can't get on top of those things, just take the first step. Walk out those back doors to your left, walk into that prayer room and tell them, I need the victory in this area. And Jesus is gonna bring it to you. But don't believe that lie, you're gonna do it on your own. Don't believe that lie, you're gonna do it without taking action. You've gotta be righteously aggressive. And that starts today by taking that first step of I'm gonna respond, I'm gonna surrender, and I'm gonna know the victory and the power of Christ. So as we sing, if you need that, head out the back doors and to your left. We'd love to pray those prayers with you. The rest of us, let's sing this final song of victory together. I raise a hallelujah In the presence of my enemies I raise a hallelujah Louder than the unbelief I raise a hallelujah My weapon is a melody I raise a hallelujah Heaven comes to fight for me Sing it out
As you go today, my, my hope for you is that cry of victory resounds in your heart and in your mind. And that every time the enemy attacks, you remember Jesus has already won this battle. And as you experience his victory over and over and over again, one of the most beautiful things that happens is you start to know, to understand, and to believe that I am victorious in Christ. And I live on the path that leads to life. You begin to believe that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. You believe that even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You start to believe that God will unleash his power like a torrent against the things that stand in your way. You believe that his arm is not too short, that his ear is never deaf, that he is always there, always ready, always acting. This is the change that incurs in us. And so instead of telling ourselves, I can't, I won't, and I'll never, you begin to learn God can, He has, and He will. And because I'm His son, and because you're His daughter, He has chosen us to lead us on the path of victory. And in that space, the only cry that's left is not, woe is me, but hallelujah, God is victorious, and I am walking with Him. This is what it means to raise a hallelujah. This is what it means to let your weapon be a melody. This is the power and the promise of the resurrected Christ at work in us. And no little thought, no attack can stand against him. So as we go today, they're gonna lead us in it one more time. And we're gonna raise that cry of victory. And we're gonna sing it not like words on a screen, but like the cry of our heart. God, I will yell it, I will sing it, I will scream it out. You are greater and I win with you. walk out those doors today, you walk in the victory of Christ, but you also walk with a really big target on your mind. And the enemy's going to come, and he comes fast, and he comes hard after you've been reminded of the victory of Christ. And you might walk out feeling great, but he's going to come for you this afternoon. He's going to come for you this evening. He's going to come for you tomorrow. There's going to be circumstances and situations that you can't control. But my prayer for you and my prayer for me is that in every moment and every thought, we remember Jesus is victorious and Jesus is here. 
So we're just going to surrender those to him. We're going to let him take care of it. And we're going to keep walking out our identity as the victorious sons and daughters of God. Thank you so much for worshiping him with us today. May you go in his grace and peace. We'd love to see you at the Royal Family Picnic and Pie Auction tonight at 6 o'clock. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.